All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for having us here today. It's great to be in Santa Rosa. What I'd like to do for the sermon is the following, is to, number one, speak the book of First John from memory. And then after that, I want to spend some time unpacking one verse, just one verse. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifest and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son Jesus Christ and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, and hereby we know that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hates his brother, is in darkness, even until now. But he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not where he goeth, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him, that is, from the beginning. And I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him, that is, from the beginning. And I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, 
it is of the world, and the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is true, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifested in the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. And this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. 
We know we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion on him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandments. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Hereby know we the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. And hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, and that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we are also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. And hereby we know that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath towards us. God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in god and god in him and herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment he that feareth is not made perfect in love 
We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children as well. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. There are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar." because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given unto us, eternal life, and the life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death he shall ask and he shall give them life for them that sin not unto death there is a sin unto death i do not say that he should pray for it all unrighteousness is sin, but there's a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. We know that the Son of God has come, and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. I didn't drive eight hours round trip with four kids under nine years old not to get an amen. Thank you. Why does the GPS take me the way it takes me? Why am I going through 116 and whatever? And oh my goodness, just take me to 37. Well, let's see, we've got, we're going to stay on time and under budget, so that means we have 25 minutes left. First of all, I want to clear up something, because I know what you're thinking. What does it mean, Tom, when it says that uh, he that commits sin is of the devil? Did you hear that one? 
or what does it mean, Tom, in like, uh, you know, 518? Everyone here, I can't presume, but I would presume that we're born of God. That's why you're here on a Sunday. We know that whosoever is born of God, are you born of God? Raise your hand. Some of you are in trouble, but you're in the right place. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Well, since you're all born of God, did anyone not sin this week? So what does that mean, Tom? Well, thanks for asking. It means habitual. That's what it means. It means habitual. You can't tell in English sometimes, but trust me, that's what it means. Habitual. Everyone's sigh sigh of relief. Now, let's transition to why I'm here today, and that is to do one thing, and that's to inspire you. Let's go to chapter 2. You don't have to turn if you don't want to, but if you want to, mark on 2.14. 2.14, as you may have heard at the beginning of this letter, there wasn't an address like Paul, Silas, and Timothy unto the church of the Thessalonians. There's no address at the beginning. So the theory is, the idea is, is that this letter was a circulated letter that was sent to all the Bible-believing churches in Biblical Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey, up and down the equivalent of Highway 5 and 101. All the churches on the main route, going to the main places, all got this letter. They copied it in the presence probably of two or three witnesses by professional scribes. So this letter is for everyone who's living in the first century, as well as us today. I had the privilege of living in Jerusalem for a thousand days as a student and as a missionary. That's where I met my wife, Sarah. I'm gonna say hi, honey. And um, it's our 10 year anniversary next month. Yay! So we're going to Disney World. And part of the reason we're going to Florida is because we're moving to Florida, I think. (laughs) Anyone wanna come with? Yeah, I think we're going to do that, but we'll see what God has in store. Anywho, so I was able to kind of get into the world of the Bible for a thousand days in the Holy Land and kind of get a little taste of what, I guess, life was like back then. And, you know, these people John's writing to, we think that they don't have a lot, these believers, we think they don't have a lot in common with us. Because we live 2,000 years apart, we live on the other side of the world, we speak a different language, we're under a different form of government, and et cetera, and et cetera. But that's not true. You have more in common with these people that he's writing to, that's why it applies to you, than you might think. Sure, they didn't have, you know, padded pews and PowerPoint and hand sanitizer around every corner and orange mocha frappuccinos and gluten-free cupcakes in the back and that kind of stuff. I mean, it was hot. Is it something I said? Okay. She's walking out on me. Again, it's a hot, dusty, bloody, sweaty, illegal, persecuted, on-the-run religion. Like, you're going to lose your job if you're associated with Christ. And that's the worst that's going to happen. Maybe you'll get fed to the lions. I don't know. Maybe we'll impale you while you're alive and dump tar on you and light you on fire to be a human tiki torch in your party tonight. I don't know. It depends what kind of mood I'm in. This is the world they live in. It's a tough world. It's a world where there's temptation. Now, we don't live in that kind of world yet in America, but it's the same sense that's the same prince of the power of the air. It's the same spirit evil spirit that works in the children of disobedience.
same spirit of antichrist that's in the world. And if anyone knows about the spirit of antichrist, it's you people who live in Sonoma County. Serious. It's like, what, the most unchurched county in America? Something insane like that. Or you're number two to somewhere on the East Coast. You're up there. Don't worry. So how do you, if we're living in this kind of crazy world, how do you or your kids or your grandkids, what's the best fighting chance you have to overcome the world that we live in? And this hits home to me. I grew up in a good church just like this. My dad, I don't know if I'm going to do it or not, but my dad was like, if you're going to church on Sunday, if you, if you live under my roof, that was the thing. So we all went. Long story short, my younger brother, who my parents loved and treated the exact same way as anyone else who was in that pew every Sunday, to make a long story short, once he got out under my parents' authority, he made really bad decisions and he's dead. At 37, and you can probably guess what caused it bad stuff. Why? How did that happen? How did you go from sitting in the pew right there to being in a casket? It can happen to anybody. It really can. Because I'm an optimist. I believe greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But I'm also a realist. And I recognize that the devil is like a roaring lion. He talks about looking whom he may devour. And he devoured my brother. He's dead. Dead as a doornail. How do you prevent that from happening? How do you, the other side of the coin would be, how do you overcome? It's John's favorite word. He uses it all the time in the Gospels and in Revelation. How do you overcome? Well, 2.14, he says, I have written unto you young men. We'll just say by application, that's the people in the pew. Because you, even though you live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation where wickedness abounds, though you live in that kind of world, you're strong. But what's given them the strength? What's the cause and the effect here? What gives them the ability when they leave the four walls of the church, which they're in one out of every 168 hours a week? How do they overcome that world that they live in? God abides in you. You have overcome the wicked one. In other words, what John is saying is the best fighting chance that you or your kids or your grandkids have to make it in this world, not just make it, but overcome, is to do what Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my that I might not. We know that's true. But because we're people and because we're dust, we don't act on what we know to be true. We sing it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We all have it memorized, but you know what? No one does it. Seriously does it. I mean, maybe a tiny bit from when you were a kid. It's floating around. But none of us are thoroughly furnished. None of us are fully equipped like we should be. That's because we're works in progress. That's one of the reasons I'm here today is to inspire you that you can do it. It's hard to memorize scripture. Kind of like half of it, you just saw what I did in like 12 minutes and it looked easy, right? Like I did it like it looked easy, right? That's because it took me six months, an hour a day, every day to get it to that point. 
So, yeah, I do have talent on loan from God, but the other side of the coin is it's also incredibly hard work and discipline. But it's worth it to me. Because I believe that the Bible really is God's word. I really believe it's more precious than rubies and all the things that I can desire are not to be compared onto it. I do believe that it's totally sufficient. I believe that it contains everything you need and want in life. It's in there. But you have to go get it if you want it. Why should I do that, Tom? Like, why should I take the time, the energy, and the effort to memorize it when I have 4.4 copies at home and every imaginable translation under the sun on my phone? That's a good question. <laughs> Memorizing scripture does a few things for you, and we can go on and on about this, but in no particular order. Number one, having it in here instead of on there or on there. Number one, it informs you who you are in the light of God's word. No matter what you are and no matter what you're doing, you can set your mind, you can set your affection, you can set your heart. When everyone else is in the traffic jam and freaked out on 101 and they're worried and they're all caught up in the, the cares of this world and all that kind of jazz, you're just sitting there meditating, dwelling upon the truths of God's word. You're thinking to yourself, thank you, God, that I did not go from ooze to the zoo to you by a series of time and chance and over billions of years, somehow along the way I developed from some kind of ape to be what I am today. No, you're a child of God. You are created in God's image and likeness. You have boldness, you have access, and you have confidence to approach him in prayer. You are a nation, a kingdom of priests. I mean, we can go on and on. On and on about who you are in the light of God's word. But as a man thinks in his heart, eat McDonald's all day, every day, it's going to show. Garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. You put the word in, the word's going to come out and in your thinking and in your practice. Another reason we memorize scripture provides us with words of comfort in a time of great need. Not only words of comfort for other people, because sometimes, you know, you don't know what to say, and we've all been there, to call upon that appropriate Bible verse and to speak that to someone. That is what Solomon compares to pitchers of gold with apples of silver inside. In other words, the most precious, valuable thing that you could ever say to someone, it can come from here. The Lord is near unto those that are of a broken heart. Good. Thank you for that, that God is near. That kind of stuff. And sometimes, you know what? We need encouragement, don't we? To look at ourselves in the mirror and tell those biblical truths, not concepts, not paraphrases, the word of God, the exact words of who you are. And that encourages you, and it lifts you up, and it edifies you. Third and final reason, like I said, we can go on and on, that we memorize scripture is it is your weapon. I'm thinking of Ephesians chapter 6, when I lived in the Holy Land, and you would go to the corner of First and Main, or Ben Yehuda and Yafo, or whatever there, right? You would see an 18-year-old Israeli with 
boy or girl, whatever, with a loaded machine gun on every corner because people blow themselves up there in the name of their God. It's crazy there. And just like today, you would see that at first in Maine, in Paul's time on first in Maine, you would see a Roman soldier keeping the peace. So, of course, in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul describes the spiritual battle we're in, he uses that outfit of a cop on first domain that everyone would have been familiar with. And everything we're wearing is defensive in our spiritual lives. Breastplate of righteousness, you have a shield of faith, you have a helmet of salvation, you have spiked shoes to dig into the gospel, you have a belt. Everything is defensive except, of course, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that word for word in the original is what really matters. It's rima, which means a thing spoken a thing spoken. So in like manner with John, Paul says, take unto you. Take unto you is not a suggestion. This is an imperative mood command with divine authority behind it. Take unto you the sword of the spirit, which is the spoken word of God. Like Jesus, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by our enemy, what does he do? He doesn't like pull out his phone and search for some kind of verse to fight the devil with or something like that. He doesn't run to some kind of synagogue that the scrolls had no chapter and verses in yet and kind of search his way through to find one particular verse to fight. He opens his mouth and he speaks from heart what he probably memorized when he was your age. And that one verse. See, we don't act on what we know to be true because we forget do you believe this is living? Yes. Powerful? Yes. Sharper than any two-edged sword? Yes. Do you put it in your heart? No. Correct. <laughs> now, it doesn't make you better than another believer because you put it in your heart. That doesn't have anything to do with it. It just makes you more furnished, more equipped, more in tune with God's mind. So to have a heart well-stocked with different verses gives you the ability to fight back. Well, how do you keep it, Tom? Because we all know if you don't use it, you, you lose it. It's true. We'll be done in seven minutes because I'm very German and I'm very on time and under budget. How do you keep it? Well, let's finish with this. We'll kind of go a full circle, circle of life, okay? We started out with John writing to these believers who lived in a crazy world like you do in the equivalent of Sonoma County, that it's got to be in here. It's got to be here so you can think upon it, dwell upon it, upon it, and grow in light of God's grace and knowledge. We'll end for a circle kind of along the same lines with Joshua about 1400 BC. The Israelites are on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They're going to cross the Jordan. God didn't tell them how, but they're going to cross it. And he tells them in 1.8, this book of the law the Bible shall not depart out of your mouth, or literally the Bible should rest right here on your lips. You shall meditate on it. What does that word mean? Now, he's writing to a sheep, goat, semi-nomadic people. Picture a bull. Does anyone chewing gum? Oh, you don't. Never mind. <laughs> Picture some kind of um, strong beast or something. Chewing their gum. I was going to bring the person up here, but I want to get invited back, so I don't want to do that. Like chewing the straw, the grass, the hay, and swallow it, then regurgitating it, and chewing it more, and drawing out more strength, more energy, and vitamins, and swallowing it. That's the idea of the word. 
to call it up, think upon it, chew upon it, put it back. Call upon it, think upon it, chew upon it, put it back. So that's what you're supposed to do with the word of God. This book of the law, the Bible shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it. How often? Day and night. Do we do that? No. We will be inspired to do that today, though. And he says, if you do that, he promises. He promises, then you'll have spiritual, in parenthesis, prosperity. You'll have spiritual success. Because remember, whatever Canaanites are surviving after the seven-year war that Joshua has, these are the equivalent of the people that you go to work with and that you live with and that you rub shoulders with. They don't think like you. They don't practice like you. Their values are not your values, and they're not, their ways are not your ways. And so in order that the Israelites wouldn't become like them, it was critical for them to think upon God's word. And we always forget verse 9 because of those verse breaks. Have not I commanded thee? <laughs> That's not a suggestion. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> Look, it's possible. You can do one verse a week. You really can. I would suggest a chapter, a psalm, a book, something with logic to it, something that connects like Legos. It makes it much easier to go through it. So on your commute, on your drive to work, while you're working out, at home, whatever, just do that. Just do it. One verse a week. And it's going to be hard. A warning, it's going to be hard at first. Like at the beginning of the year, you don't want to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and go running want to lose the weight, but you know what? Six, eight weeks later, you're really glad you started to do that because it shows and you feel encouraged and it's getting easier and you're seeing results and you love it. And how much more putting, what if, not me, because I don't have it, what if Pastor Tim gave every one of you $100 for every single verse you memorized this year? Like, he would be in the poorhouse. A hundred dollars for every single verse. Look at these kids. They're already beginning to do this, okay? <laughs> how much more, how much more valuable than filthy lucre, right, is this? You can do it. You can do it. Thanks so much for having us here today, guys. It's been a real blessing. As you exit, there's a table with some goodies on it. I don't have a lot. We just have a few things. But this is one way that we're full-time missionaries. This is what we do for a living. We go church to church to church to church to church. We're driving to uh, Kentucky for the summer to speak for 40 days and 40 nights at the Ark Encounter in the Creation Museum. Those on commercials. So we'll be there all day, every day. And that's very expensive, as you know, to drive from here to there. And back and plus, we're volunteering. So... We're just trusting that God will provide for us. So one of the ways you can help our families and you help yourself is we have some resources in the back. I don't have a lot, but I've got a little, like verse-by-verse commentaries. Verse-by-verse commentaries. This is really cool. This is a four-hour-plus course. It's a DVD on the archaeology and the geography of the Holy Land. It's good for all ages. You know, what does Jericho look like? What did they find at Nazareth? All that kind of good stuff. And this is... My wife says this one's the best. I have the whole book of Revelation memorized. We're going to do that next time we come. And I have two master's degrees from Jerusalem. And when you put all that together, it's pretty good. (laughs) And so this is a complete college course on the book of Revelation. It just goes verse by verse by verse by verse by verse. It's 14 hours long with a fine-tooth comb 
through the whole book. And so I'm teaching, I read every verse and I explain every verse. And there's students asking questions and it's interactive, but if you're in the car and if anyone even has a CD player in the car anymore, um, <laughs> this would be a really good option. Thank you so much for having us here today. Hope I inspired you guys. Start memorizing one verse a week. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs>